Good morning. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. And it's our pleasure to bring you Sunday service from the Temple of Light at Ananda Village in California. And this week, our reading is We Are Children of the Light from Rays of the One Light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. It is common for people to perceive themselves according to their present realities. A person in ill health says, I am ill. Few say, I am well, it is my body that is suffering. People in a low income bracket say, I am poor. Only the unusual person will say, though outwardly I live in poverty, inwardly I am wealthy. Thus, when it comes to moral and spiritual development, people commonly identify themselves with their weaknesses and their mistakes. They consider it almost a sign of humility to say, I am a sinner. Though in effect, what this means is that they identify themselves with their sinfulness not with the soul's power to transcend all limitations in God. The great masters, including Jesus Christ, have always emphasized the divine potential of mankind. To encourage us, they address us as children of light, not of darkness. The Bible in the Gospel of St. John, chapter three, makes the point that our true home is not the mud of this earth, but the light of heaven. No man hath ascended up to heaven, it tells us, but him that came down from heaven. This passage continues, even so the Son of Man who is in heaven, emphasizing that Jesus, though he lived on earth, is perceived by the eye of wisdom as conscious, even in human form, of his true reality in heavenly spheres. The way to know God is to live in godly consciousness and not to bewail our imperfection and our distance from God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the Bhagavad Gita states, seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts. But those who, lacking in wisdom, seek him with impure motives cannot perceive him however much they struggle to do so. If you want to know God, Paramahansa Yogananda said, live in the thought that you have him already. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. And I will say also that it's a joy to be with you in spirit and to feel your presence and share in this service this morning. I'd like to begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda. <clears throat> and this is entitled, Wake me that I may know 
that the terrors of mundane delusion are only dreams. Wrapped in the blanket of hope, I slept long. I dreamed I was sitting on a throne, my face wreathed in smiles. My smiles withered, and the petals of my merriment <clears throat> dropped away one by one. Suddenly, I beheld myself in rags. Seated on the hard stones of poverty, I wept, and my teardrops fell on the unheeding, unrelenting stones of my present circumstances. The world passed me by in mocking silence. I cried out for thy help, and thou didst wake me at last through the force of my desperation. I laughed to find myself at last neither rich nor poor, but safe forever in thy arms. Oh, waken all anxious souls from their dreams of smiling opulence and crying poverty. O oh, maker of dream worlds, deliver me forever from the nightmares of disease and death. Wake me to immortality. Wake me to unshaken calmness that I may know the fierce terrors of mundane delusion to be only dreams. So again, welcome to everyone. Our topic this morning is we are children of the light. And this is the Sunday service preceding our Inner Renewal Week here at Ananda Village. And I will say the topic is going deep in the uh, yogic lifestyle. And I suspect that during this week in the classes and in the inspiration, there'll be a lot that will feed into this topic and support us in our endeavor to become children of the light, to realize that we are that already. As we were coming over this morning, Ananta said, all society's problems would be solved if everyone realized they were a child of God. <laughs> and that's, it's so perfectly true. We could end right there. But uh, I will try to share a little more on this topic. It's a very important one. It's not enough to affirm we are children of the light. It's not enough to embrace this as a truth that resonates with us. There's much more to it. We have to, as it says in the readings this morning, live in godly consciousness. I wanted to share a story that Yogananda told, and while it might seem like a story for children, uh, well, it is a story for children. It's a story for all children of the light, and its message is very profound and very relevant. And this story <clears throat> describes a lioness who is just about to give birth. And she's very big, carrying this baby lion inside of her. 
and her circumstance, such as it is, has weakened her to uh, a considerable degree, and this is compounded by the fact that her circumstance has made it very difficult for her to get food, the food and nourishment that she needs to see this through. And so one day she is laying down in a field and she falls asleep. And in her sleep she dreams. And she dreams that she is around, surrounded by a fold of sheep. And amongst them is a weakened sheep. And she's alerted to that possible meal. And she gathers up her, the forces within her and leaps. And in that movement, she jerks into physical reality, conscious reality of the physical world around her. But she sees now in the wakeful state that Interestingly enough, the field <laughs> is filled with many, many sheep, and amongst them a, a weakened little lamb. And so she gathers her strength for real and charges after all of these sheep seeking to get this little weak one. And she does, she pounces on it, and she has a full meal and that sustenance is transferred to her physical body. And after feeding for a while, she wanders off into the woodland. And in this whole process, because <clears throat> there were a lot of things going on and she was very stressed and traumatized in her animal body for many reasons, she gave birth to that, her lion, her little baby lion, without really noticing it, putting it all together. I guess until she was quite far away because that little baby lion was left there in that field abandoned. Well, the sheep were there too. They were traumatized by the whole thing that they watched. And when they came out of their stupor, they, one of them in particular saw this little baby lion and decided to take it under its wing and rear it. And this sheep did. And by and by, the little baby lion grew up and assumed the full bodily size of a very strong and robust lion, but with the behavior of a sheep. <laughs> and this lion he didn't eat meat. He grazed in the grass. He bleated like a lamb. He whined, he cried, he followed blindly where all of the other sheep went. And such was his existence. And one day, another lion came into this area and saw all the sheep and thought, there's my meal. And then he saw this other lion there with the sheep, just in very casual circumstance. And this puzzled him. And he thought, what is going on here? And he charged after the fold of sheep. And this lion was out in front. and. The other lion looking on just thought this doesn't make sense, and he decided to go after that lion. And he took down that lion and held him down in his paws and said, what are you doing? What, what are you doing with these sheep? Why are you running with them? Why aren't you, you know, getting your dinner? And the lion spoke in sheep language and bleated, and I'm a lion, you know, I'm a sheep, I'm a sheep. This is what I do. This is my life. This is my family. 
And the other lion, he just, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. And he said, that's it. And he grabbed the lion and he took him over to this pond at the far end of the pasture. And he took his head and just put it right down over the water and said, look, look at yourself. You're not a sheep, you're a lion. And he put his face next to the other sheep lion. And he said, look, we're alike. We're both lions. He says, now roar, roar, stop bleeding. Roar, you must roar. And this other lion tried to get something out, but it was just this little whimper of a, you know, just bleeding lamb that he was, you know, expressing. And the other lion just kept telling him, you've got to keep trying. You've got to keep crying, trying. And he tried to roar, and he tried to roar, and he tried to roar, and finally he just belted out this huge roar, this lion-like roar. And at that point, he really took hold of his reality, and he understood that, in fact, he was really a lion, a big lion with a big roar and a big mane and a long tail. And him and his friend walked off into the forest and left behind the sheep forever. And, you know, it's such a simple story. I mean, the theme is so seemingly obvious. And yet, every day, I suspect, I know I do, I, I work with that part of me that is the little bleeding lamb and the part of me that has the lion-like roar and is willing and able to go after anything, everything. And just that constant you know, shift between those two states of consciousness. We have to learn to roar and we have to practice our roaring. We have to put that into expression all of the time in all of the things that we do. In this reading, we are reminded of, uh, in a very deep way through the passage given, of these two realities that are coexisting all the time and coexisting in us to the extent that we're aware of them. This astral reality, this astral consciousness beyond the material realm, beyond the bodily form, and then the physical reality. These two coexisting. And how do we get to that place, to that astral reality, that higher consciousness, that astral heaven, which is here and now, how do we get there? We come to realize that our journey there is possible because that's where we came from. And recognizing that, realizing that means that we have to find that way to access that consciousness. As it says in the reading, none can go unto heaven except he who has come down from heaven. So realizing that reality within us, that we are children of God, we have come from God, it's why we're here, it's how we're here, and that everything I am trying to do in a spiritual way, on a spiritual level, is helping me to awaken to that higher consciousness which is not just a place. The astral realm is a place. It is a plane of reality. 
in energy, in light. But it's much more than that that we're seeking. It's not just about going there. It's about being there in consciousness. And that's very different. And that can happen right now. It can happen right here in this physical reality. We can not just aspire to that consciousness, but we can realize that consciousness. We can live in that consciousness. And this is where and how the masters live. They're coexisting in both these realms. Yogananda said, I killed Yogananda long ago. No one dwells in this temple now but God. That consciousness enabled him to live in this physical reality, observe it, wonder at it to be sure. God's creation is wondrous and it, a lot of it is, it's rather an enigma of sorts, isn't it? Can't fully understand it, can't fully hold it. And there, so the masters live in this reality, but they're conscious. They remember where they came from. They remember who they are, who they really are as children of God. In Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi, <clears throat> in the chapter, The Resurrection of Sri Yukteswar, I encourage you to, as a way to continue in the theme of this service, to reread this chapter at this time. It's very, very profound. And what is captured there is, is not related anywhere else. It's, it's amazing, just isn't a big enough word <laughs> for what is there in this dialogue between Paramahansa Yogananda and his guru, Sri Yukteswar. And Yogananda is in Bombay, his master, his guru, Sri Yukteswar, has passed away. Yogananda was there and helped bury the body in the sands of Puri at Sri Yukteswar's hermitage. Now he's in Bombay, he's waiting to get a ship back to America. <clears throat> and Krishna appears to him. And some days, some weeks later, as a part of that blessing, that good omen, if you will, from, imparted from Krishna without words, Sri Yukteswar appears again, resurrected in his physical body and Yogananda could touch him, could hold him, could even smell that familiar fragrance that was always in association with his guru and his guru's physical body. And this amazing exchange, again, a word that comes up short, but here we are in the limits of the human language, this exchange between these two about this astral realm this astral consciousness. And Yukteswar, he describes the, the uh, nature, the appearance of the astral realm in tremendous detail. I mean, just from every aspect. And then he talks about that consciousness which enables one to be in that reality all of the time. 
and he says to Yogananda, after pages and pages of this sharing and transference of knowledge and wonder and just the scope of it all, Sri Yukteswar says to Yogananda, Yogananda, tell all, tell all that when one comes to this place of consciousness, you reference Nirbhikalpa Samadhi, but when one comes to a higher state of consciousness, the higher we go in consciousness, the more we're able to truly see, the more we can experience that reality. And he says, tell all who come to this state of consciousness, who visit this state of consciousness, who exist in this state of consciousness, that they will be able to come and be with me, and visit me, and have this experience, and know this reality. He says, tell all, tell everybody, not just this person, that person, but forget the others. <laughs> tell everybody, because everybody can attain this. It's our destiny, it's who we are. I wanted to read just a, a few words of Yoganandas from that chapter. And he says, in this chapter of my autobiography, I have obeyed my guru's behest and spread the glad tiding, though it conformed once more, though it confound once more an incurious generation. Groveling man knows well, despair, is seldom alien, yet these are perversities, no part of man's true lot. Too long has he hearkened to the dark pessimism of his dust-thou-art counselors, heedless of the unconquerable soul. The day he wills, he is set on the path to freedom. So this is the gift, this is the admonition to all of us that this is possible, that we can realize this, that we are children of, the God, of God, and that it is ours to live, to try to live to the best of our ability in this consciousness. I remember the first time I went to India, it was in 1990, and we were walking down a little street in Haridwar in the foothills of the Himalaya. And all of a sudden on my left out of this little dingy alleyway, there appeared this man. And he was a Shivite, a devotee, a worshiper of Lord Shiva, God in the aspect of Lord Shiva. And so to suit his part, he was smeared in ash from head to toe. He had on a loin cloth, a long beard, a lot of matted locks of hair tied up in a knot on top of his head. He held a trident. He had the Rudraksha around his neck, and he was barefoot. And I have to say, you know, it's, it's not like in India everybody is a saint. <laughs> it's not that we need to dress as Lord Shiva or Lord Krishna. But I have to say, when I saw that image, 
you know, it was symbolic of a heart and soul desiring God so deeply as to try to live in that consciousness. And my heart leapt for joy. I was ecstatic. If I had experienced nothing else there, that would have sufficed. And I don't know if this was a deeply spiritual soul, an enlightened soul. I don't know. How would I know? But just that image, it just made my heart leap because it struck that chord. We are children of God. And in whatever way we feel the inspiration, in whatever way we, we seek and feel the devotion, that is perfect. That is perfect because that's going to awaken that memory, awaken that divine memory within us and help us to hold that divine attitude that we are a divine being and that we are on this journey home to God, back to where we've come from, back to the realm that we truly know in the deepest way on every level. Yogananda <clears throat> said, uh, Swami Kriyananda quotes this in his autobiography, The New Path, and Yogananda said, this is my best advice. Gather together in spiritual community because this will give you the greatest support on your journey home to God. And I know that everyone can't live in a physical community such as Ananda Village or elsewhere. We have a global family online now, and that's not going away. We're not going to all be together under one roof. That's not the goal. But what Yogananda is saying, it's a reinforcement of those cherished words, live in the world, but not of it. And if we can do that, if that is at the top of our list as a way to make this journey home, then we're going to make those choices. We're going to discern between what will support us spiritually and what won't. Environment is stronger than willpower. And to be with like-minded souls, we don't all think the same here, I assure you. <laughs> we hold very different opinions, sometimes at completely opposite ends of the spectrum. But what we share in common, where our like-mindedness supports us in the best possible way is our desire to know God, our desire to realize God in this lifetime. And it strengthens us. You know, we all have behaviors and weaknesses, things that don't necessarily uh, move us forward on the path. But Master said, don't concentrate on those. Give them to God. Give them to God. He created you. He created those weaknesses. And it's not that you don't try to reroute yourself, reroute your behavior. You know, God's not going to do it for you, but you just keep realigning yourself. You keep realigning yourself with the goal, with the memory, with the knowing that I am a child of God and I am 
on this journey home, and God is going to help me. And so I may have made an error, I may have made a mistake, but I am not a sinner. In other words, to not accept our mistakes and our ill behavior as a finality, as a line in the sand which we can't and are unable to cross over. There it is. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from doing the wrong thing. And we try and we succeed in not doing it again. And so living in the world, but not of it. Draw on that support. Draw on that spirit that is aligned with you to go to God. Swamiji gives us, has written many, many, many pieces of music, music that we can sing along with, music that we can listen to. And he's highlighted a number of those as actual anecdotes to states of consciousness that are limiting, that are hold us back. And he reminds us in doing that about the choices we make in our environment, the choices that we make in our lives, the ones that support the spiritual quest, the ones that keep us standing right where we are or falling back. And something as simple as listening to music that elevates consciousness. Does the music you listen to elevate consciousness? Ask yourself. Ask yourself that question and feel in your heart and respond to that. Go with that. Because music that elevates your consciousness will make you want to meditate, will make you want to have that higher consciousness, not just some of the time, but all of the time. Music that elevates your consciousness will bring you into prayer, into communion with God. I remember some years ago, well, many now, but Swamiji, we missed Swamiji's birthday here at Ananda Village. I suspect he was in India or in Europe. And he sent a birthday message to the community. And he always made a wish at his birthday. And that wish always included all of us. It wasn't anything personal except that through his own realization, he could better help all of us. And he said, I wish that you will realize liberation in this life. I wish that you will become a Jivan Mukta. Now, let's think about that for a moment, because when we wish something for somebody, we're doing that sincerely. It's coming from a sincere place. We wish for something to be better in someone's life. We wish for something to be answered, for something to be fulfilled. But it's based in reality. You know, we wish for something that's real. We wish for something that's possible. We wish for something that we know that person can do and can further grow with. And so here was Swamiji making this wish and verbalizing it so we could hear it, so we could remember it. And he wouldn't have said that unless he was able to see us 
as children of God, to see us as an individual that could come to that place of realization in this life. So that's the kind and quality of encouragement that we have, of like-mindedness that we have. Be close to those who believe in your divine reality, your divine potential. Be close to them. And always hold out that hope for yourself. Claim that hope for yourself and everyone, because it is possible. Yogananda said that hope is the intuitive knowing of the soul. It's born of the intuitive knowing of the soul, that we're destined to know God. We're children of God. That's our destiny. That's where hope comes from, because when we hope, we remember. When we hope, we know what is possible. You know, this is one incarnation out of millions of human incarnations. But as Yogananda has said, what are millions of incarnations when for eternity we have been and are the children of God? Thank you and bless you all. Thank you.